the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids show. My name is Renal Silverstone and I am your host for today. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. And thank you for tuning in to 101.9 Hi FM and listening to the Hi Kids show. Today on the Hi Kids show, I'll be speaking to Trevor Blumenthal. He is an anesthetist. So listen kids, don't go away. We have a very interesting show for you today. Get ready for a very interesting show only on 101.9 Hi FM. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Renal Silverstone and I'm your host for today. I have Trevor Blumenthal in studio with me. So send your questions to 34519 or WhatsApp to 061-895-1019. Good afternoon, Trevor. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks, and you? I'm good. How's your day been? It's It's been an interesting day. Um, I was working last night, so uh. I came home and had a good sleep. I was quite excited for the show, so it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Excitement is very nice, and you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Sure. What is an anesthetist? Okay, so just to get things started, um, I'm an anesthetic registrar, so I haven't finished my training yet, so I'm in the process of training to become an anesthetist. But what an anesthetist is, is a medical specialist who administers an anesthetic. And what an anesthetic is, is it encompasses the process of putting a patient to sleep, keeping them asleep, making sure they don't have pain, and also making sure they don't remember the whole procedure. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why did you become an, or why are you becoming, maybe you mm. won't, but like if you pro- most likely, why, why? So when I, when I started um, medicine, there were so many different um, departments you go through. You go through pediatrics, which deals with children. You go through orthopedics, which is bones. You, you go through general medicine. And when I went through anesthetics, to me, it was a very nice combination of all the medical fields because you look, you, you deal with patients that are children, you deal with elderly, the young, and you deal with the men and women. So it encompasses all the different medical fields. And there's a lot of physiology. And what physiology is, is the functioning of the human body and how that all um, works together. And um, I also quite like the idea of the physics behind anesthetics. And what I mean by physics is how all the different chemicals and the machines we use in anesthetics work together. Hmm. <laughs> how do you put people to sleep? So there's actually many different ways of doing that. Um, there is, we, as you, I'm sure you know, when, you, when, you, when you're sick, and sometimes you go to hospital, which hopefully you don't. But if you do need to, sometimes we give you a drip. And in that drip, they give medication. And in some cases where we can't get up a drip, we use a gas. And that involves the whole process of anesthetics. Hmm. Wow. Why is the, the certain type of gas called laughing gas? And must everyone have gas with anesthetics? So it's called laughing gas because it gives a feeling of euphoria, which is a happy, um, kind of feeling where you just don't feel like yourself and you giggle at everything. Hmm. So that's why it's called laughing gas. And that gas is called nitrous oxide. It's a specific kind of gas. Not all gases that we use in anesthetics to keep the patient asleep is laughing gas. Mm. And sorry, what was your other question? Um, must everyone have gas uh, during so, anesthetics? So not, not everybody has to have a gas. We usually use the gas 
because it is the most effective and the most researched in terms of keeping a patient asleep. Um, but some people actually can't have gases, so we use um, medication via the drip, and that keeps patients asleep. Hmm. Can you have both? You can. So sometimes what we do is um, we usually use the, the injection that I told you, an IV line, and that we use to put patients to sleep. But some people are quite afraid of the injection. That includes children's right up to adults. So what we sometimes use is the gas itself to put to put the patient to sleep. It's uh, it's quite a nice feeling. Um, you're just kind of sitting there, lying there, smelling this gas, and all yeah, of a sudden you, I you're asleep. Because I, I remember I woke up with a bruise from the injection. <laughs> um, where is the IV line? So the IV line we we find where there's a vein. So we have veins and arteries in our bodies, and usually one takes oxygenated blood, which is blood that's full of oxygen and one takes deoxygenated blood but all this blood that i'm talking about goes back to your heart and to your brain and that's where we want the drug to work so usually we find somewhere in your arm easily accessible to us during the operation and before and that's where we put the long, uh, the the iv line or the peripheral line it's called um it can be on the hand in the elbow joint here wherever you find a line yeah. why do you get bruises from it so usually what happens is it causes Injury to the blood vessels around that area, and that's what happens. It's, it's you know when you knock mm. yourself, you've hit a blood vessel, might have popped, and then it bleeds around that area. But it goes Ouch. away very quickly. <laughs> Where does the word anesthetist? Anesthesia, anesthetist. Yes. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> you get used to it. Um, it comes, it's actually a Greek in origin, um, and this means um, without. And asthesis is sensation. So it actually means without sensation. That's the the meaning of the word anesthesis. Simple. Yeah. Mm. But always interesting. That's it. How do you know the correct dos- dosage for each patient? So with a lot of drugs and medication that you know humans take, there is trials that go um, before we give it to anybody. And that's sometimes um, done in the lab. It's done on... Um, animals sometimes, unfortunately, we have to start somewhere, and um, this research is done, and then it's calculated according to the patient's weight. Usually, um, when it comes to adults, we usually use a standard of 70 kilograms for an average person. But then children, you have to be a lot more careful because they're a lot smaller, mm. and the drugs can have a big impact on them. Are there like different types of drugs, and if there is, probably there is, mm-hmm. but like just don't know. And if there's, are there good ones and are there bad ones? So we usually try not to use the bad drugs, and they aren't really bad drugs. But as you know, with a lot of things, there's always side effects of, of things we take, even food. <laughs> if you eat too much of something, it's going to cause you to have a runny tummy. So the same thing with drugs. So usually we, we try and taper the drug we need for a specific, for a specific uh, procedure. Um, if it's just to keep the patient asleep, that's what we'll use. If we need to give something for pain, if we need to give it something to relax the patient. So it just depends on what the procedure is. And we try and make sure that we, we do make sure that we use the correct dose at the correct time and for the correct patient. Hmm. Hmm. Do you use like all drugs or there's certain ones that you're not allowed to use? So we use most drugs. There are certain drugs that are used for certain things. And unfortunately or fortunately, there are some drugs that aren't available in South Africa that you can get elsewhere in the world. But we, you know, we do get those drugs um, slowly but surely. And as I said, there are certain drugs that were designed and developed specifically for anesthesia to produce the effects we need. 
I wonder who made those. <laughs> yeah, it's Very quite interesting. Hey. Mm. Yeah. But like in the olden days, they didn't have all these so 21st century things. Mm. <laughs> That's so right. how would they put people to sleep? <laughs> so in the very olden days, they would use things like alcohol. They would even get someone to bite on a, on a stick to just get through that pain. But fortunately, um, in the 1840s, there was a dentist who developed uh, uh, this first gas called ether. And that was the first, you know, kind of sign of, of more modern anesthesia where we didn't have to knock out people with a, with a club on their head to make sure <laughs> they didn't experience any pain. Wow. So it started there with a the dentist. And then from then on, we developed these other, other gases that we also used in the wars and things like that where the surgeons could operate on the mm. soldiers. Mm. Very interesting. You should be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know when the anesthetics wear off? So usually we control the anesthetics and, you know, people are different. So it is a little bit more technical in terms of the drugs we use and the gases we use. But a lot of, you know, clinical um, trials and experiments have have gone into the whole development of these gases and drugs. And it's been trialed in terms of how long it would usually take for the gas to wear off or for the level of the drug in the blood to leave the system. Hmm. So it's not really a exact science but it gives us an estimate of how long it can take and like i said everybody's different uh, small big yeah. people you know mm. what if someone doesn't want like doesn't fall asleep so it doesn't really happen where uh, you know some people might require a higher dose of drug but if we need to put the patient to sleep they'll they'll be put to sleep it's it's not really a a big factor um but, you know, there's a, there's a worry that people will be aware during the surgery or wake up in the middle of the surgery. This also is, it can happen, but it is very rare. And there are signs and symptoms we look, um, for this awareness that should someone be having this procedure, they wake up, we'll notice this very quickly. And the good thing about the drugs we give is that they cause amnesia. So they won't remember any of this. Sometimes uh, someone might mention that they heard the doctor speaking, and that 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 can happen. But like I said, it's it's quite rare. Oh. Mm. When it comes to the fields of medicine, mm. what is your biggest fear? Sure, that's a very good question. And I think you know when you when you ask that to doctors, and most doctors will probably answer it in a very similar way: is failure is a very big big factor because you're not only failing yourself, you're failing the patient their families, and it's it's a, quite a domino effect because if something happens to the patient, there's going to be a big effect on their family. There could be a mother, there could be a father, there could be a child. And, you know, you, you as a doctor, whatever field you're in, if it's anesthetics, if it's surgery, your main goal is to look after that patient and make sure you give them the best care you can. So if something goes wrong, you always question yourself, what went wrong? How could I have prevented this? And sometimes there, is, there isn't a reason. It just happens. Oh. Mm. What could, would you do if you saw a colleague make a medical error? So, um, you know, people also forget sometimes that doctors are humans too. And <laughs> we all make mistakes. Doctors, lawyers, everybody makes mistakes. So if you did see something like that happen, you would, you know, very discreetly and professionally go to that doctor and just, you know, bring to their attention in a more in a constructive way. If things need to be taken further, you'll, again, do it in a more professional way where you don't humiliate anybody. For me, that's a very big aspect of um, professionalism where you don't want to embarrass your colleague 
and just keep everything professional because at the end of the day, it's for the best interest of the patient. That's what you know, that's what the goal of the doctor is and the anesthetist. Can you tell us one of your most interesting cases you had, if you had any, mm. and how did you fix it? Sure. So there's been many. And like I mentioned to you earlier, I deal with a lot of different fields of medicine in, in anesthetics. So I look at bones. I look at the brain. We do neurosurgery where they do surgery on the brain and on the, the liver and the kidneys and all these different organs. And I'd have to say there's probably one from each that really sticks out. And a really interesting one is um, children. Sometimes when they, they're born, um, children can have a defect in their heart. So like a small hole in the heart, which sometimes needs to be repaired. And that often is quite interesting because you can see a couple of days or weeks, months after that, how this, the, the child starts to grow a lot better and perform a lot better. So there's things like that, which are really, really interesting. Mm. And uh, but even, as I said, in neuro, when you see the brain and everything like that and the surgeon working around that, trying to make sure everything is, is done for the interest of the patient. Mm. Why does anesthesia cause memory problems? So it doesn't cause any memory problems, but it's actually part of what we want to make sure that the patient doesn't remember anything during the operation because a lot of things are happening during the operation. You know, if we need to fix the bone, we have to get to the bone, which means we have to make a little cut to get to that bone. And obviously we don't want the patient to be aware and to remember that. But there is a side effect of the drugs we give and the gases we use, and these themselves can affect the memory a little bit. But usually it's short-term. There is situations where the gas itself, and depending on the patient, for example, an elderly person, um, it may affect their memory in a more long-term kind of way. But usually it isn't then anesthetic-related. It can be sometimes to the drugs they're using. It can also be related to the surgery itself. That can also have an impact on the patient's memory. Wow. <laughs> what happens if you disagree with the patient? So that has happened often, and and... The interesting thing about anesthetics is that um, we also deal with the intensive care unit. And a lot of anesthetists go from working in anesthetics into RCU. And um, we deal with patients and their families and often we'll disagree. But like, again, you know, this is, this is our job. So we try in a rational way, sit with the family, sit with the patient and discuss it to try and come to a resolution of what their concerns are. Wow. Very, very interesting. Let's hope that we can learn way more after this song. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 High FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Renal Silverstone and I am 11 years old. Let's carry on with the questions. Does the anesthetist doctor stay in the operating room till the operation is over? If he does, why? So it's actually a very good question because a lot of people um, don't really know what an anesthetist does. And, um, you know, I'm sure when you watch some medical movies and dramas and things like that, it's the surgeon always doing all the work. And behind the lines actually is the anesthetist. So, yes, he or she is always in theater looking after the patient. Um, I always compare um, anesthetics like uh, flying an airplane because when you put a patient to sleep, it's like takeoff. Um, it's very, can be very stressful, uh, time. And then once in the air, you can, you know, a lot of the time put on autopilot and there can be turbulence during the flight. And then obviously landing can be quite stressful too. So the anesthetist needs to be there throughout the whole surgery just to counter any turbulence that does happen 
and look after that patient in terms of monitoring the patient's blood pressure, which is very important, their heart rate, and to make sure the patient is still asleep and not feeling any pain. Mm. Hmm. Is it safe to do anesthesia? Yes, it is, it is a safe um, field of medicine. Um, it is quite a new field of medicine. Um, as I mentioned to you, you know, starting specifically with, you know, your first, your first volatile gas as ether, um, in 1846, 45, and now coming to where we are today, um, it is a safe form of, of medicine. And fortunately for anesthesia, we can do all these big surgeries we do today. Well, that's fortunate, but unfortunate because we don't want to have to do the surgeries. Absolutely. Why are some people confused after anesthesia? Why do they talk funny? It <laughs> <laughs> does happen. It is quite funny sometimes. And sometimes it's a bit scary too. Um, <laughs> but so usually that is related to the anesthesia itself. So like I said, we use gases and we use a lot of drugs we give into the drip. And a lot of these drugs that we use are also for pain. And um, the pain medications themselves can cause you to be a bit loopy and say funny things and do funny things. And also the, the surgery itself, it depends where the surgery is. It depends on the surgery. Um, it can have an effect. But again, that, that effect of being confused and talking funny and doing funny things doesn't last very long. And it can, and it is quite common in children actually. It's called an emergence delirium where once we stop this gas and we wake up the, the person or the child and it does happen in adults too. But specifically in children, they, they can be a little bit disorientated because they're not sure where they were or are. And, um, it does resolve shortly. And especially when, once they see their, their parents coming in and looking after them, they feel a lot better and that, that hysteria or, um, loopiness disappears. Do they like concentrate on what, like, no, but I mean, like, do they say everything that's on their mind or? So it's, it varies with each person and sometimes they'll might have had a funny dream during the anesthetic or when they woke up or even something before, something that was mentioned to them that made me make them think about it. Um, but it, again, it depends on the person and sometimes they talk about crazy things they'll <laughs> talk about. They were, they saw a character from a cartoon or something like that. It's, it's quite funny, but it's not dangerous and it's, it's, it's not a permanent thing and they usually, uh, Recover pretty soon after that. What should the patient know before he goes in for surgery? So that's an important um, question because there's the surgical side of the operation and the anesthetic side of the operation. So usually the surgeon will come and discuss, I'm sure a while beforehand, and, and again on the morning or the night, whatever it is, of the surgery. They'll discuss with the patient what's going to happen, what type of surgery, what they're going to do, what they have to do. And then we come in as the anesthetist to discuss our side of the of the um, you know equation story. for the story yeah, to them, and we tell them what we're going to do. We also there's different options for for um, anesthesia, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. But um, we have to discuss all the important aspects of anesthesia and the, the importance of putting the patient to sleep and what we need from them. Why are patients be not allowed to eat or drink before it and how long, like how long before they're not allowed to? Okay, that's also a really good question. So usually there's, we call them fasting guidelines. So you know in Yom Kippur we fast, we make sure we don't eat. So the same thing with, with putting a patient to sleep for surgery. We need to make sure their tummy is empty because when we, when we put a patient to sleep, right, we have to help breathe for them. 
And how we do that is we need to make sure that we protect that airway. Okay, so when you breathe in, air goes down you know, okay. your trachea and then goes into your lungs, right? Now, we need to make sure that that is protected. And sometimes what we have to do is we have to make the patient uh, relaxed and in a way paralyze them to make sure they don't move and it allows us to get the tube in. Mm-hmm. And this, what this tube does, it prevents anything from the stomach going into the lungs. We don't want that. That's very dangerous. Mm. So that's why we tell the patients not to eat before surgery. And usually what the guidelines are, depending on the on the patient and sometimes depending on other diseases they have, usually um, we make sure that they shouldn't drink or eat anything within six hours before surgery. However, we, we do encourage that, especially children, you can drink clear fluids, clear things like apple juice that you can look through. You can drink black tea, even with a bit of sugar, but no milk. Before the sur- up to two hours before the surgery, two hours within two hours, you shouldn't eat or drink anything because we're worried that if some of that food goes into the lungs. Usually, like, like I once did the oper- mm. operation, um, but you, they say I'm not like at night. I wasn't allowed to eat till the, after the operation, and it was so many hours. Yeah, that's they've changed that, and it's it's not very good practice to do that, as, as I said, especially with children, because they can't control their sugars in their blood very well. So they 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 need to have food a lot sooner than adults. So like I said, they've changed those guidelines where we try, we we speak to the patients before the the surgery and tell them when they can and can't eat. And like I said, to usually it's it's the solid food six hours before surgery, because that's how long it takes usually for your food to go from your tummy. Out of, out of your tummy into your intestines and, and gets, you know, reabsorbed and things like that. But clear fluids like, like I mentioned to you, apple juice, you can drink up to two hours before. And it's, as I said, especially for children, that's what should be encouraged. Um, should a patient visit you before and after the procedure? And if so, why? So, it's actually a good idea for the anaesthetist to visit this, the, the patient. And what usually happens is when a patient is coming for surgery, they get admitted to hospital, sometimes only on the morning of the surgery, but sometimes they're already in hospital. So what the anaesthetist will do is they will come and see the patient and get a history from them, which is very important. We need to know if they have any medical problems like high blood pressure or high blood sugar because these have an impact on our on our uh on our patients so we usually see the patients before to get an idea and then we will follow up with them post after the surgery to make sure that they're not in any pain um, to make sure that they feeling a lot better and if they are confused we want to make sure that's resolved and it is a good idea and it's good practice for anaesthetists to follow up um before and after with the patients, yes. This has been Five Kids, Four Kids, Bikers. My name is Ronald Silverstone and I'm 11 years old. Thank you so much to my guest Trevor Blumenthal for coming on Hi Kids and thank you to my producer Mandy and Craig for pushing the big red buttons. Join us tomorrow for another Hi Kids show only on 101.9 Hi FM. Goodbye kids, have a super duper day.